Today we're going to start, uh, we finished the book of Nahum, we're going to start the, the really large book of 3 John. Now anybody who knows how big 3 John is, it's one chapter. Um, and a matter of fact, it's only 14 verses. Uh, so I don't know how long we'll be uh, in the book of First John, uh, 3 John. Uh, I expect it to be about three weeks. Uh, and you go, how can you spend that long on Third John? Well, you know me, I don't go through things very fast sometimes. So, um, so the book of Third John, if you don't know where it's at, if you find the book of Revelation and go backwards, you go to Jude, which is also one chapter long, and then you get to Third John. Let's go and open in prayer as we get ready to start. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to look at it. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, that you love us. And it's amazing that you love us because we are sinners, and yet you choose to love us and care for us, and we just thank you for that. We ask you to bless this time as we look at this, this uh, book in the Bible and show us what you'd have us to see, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, First John, or Third John, excuse me. Why did I pick Third John? I have no idea. I just wanted to pick a, one of the New Testament books. Uh, the author of Third John is, by easy thing, John. <laughs> uh, it... It doesn't really tell us John, but he says he is the elder, and, and for all of church history, there's been no, cons no question of who wrote the book. It's been written by John, and that's the Apostle John. Now, John is the only one of the 12 disciples who did not die a violent death, okay? We had Judas who hung himself. Ten of the other disciples all were martyred. They had their heads cut off. One was driven through, uh, Thomas in India was driven through his spears uh, as they rode around him. Uh, one was literally quartered by being tied to four animals and pulled into four pieces. Uh, Peter was, Peter was uh, crucified. And John got to die of old age. As far as we know, he lived into his 90s and and it wasn't through lack of trying. Rome did try to kill him. They, they tried to poison him. They tried to boil him in oil. They sent him to an insane, criminally insane asylum, hoping that the inmates would kill him. But God did not let him die. And that was because he told him, you know, when Peter said, you know, you know uh, Jesus told Peter he'd be led around and be, be crucified, you know, killed for him. He goes, well, what about him? And he says, what is it to you if I let him live, live to old age? And he got to live to old age. And... The timing on this book, we don't know exactly when it was written. Most people believe that it was in the 80s or the 90s AD. The reason they believe it is because the opening statement of this book is to an individual leader of the church. And if you think about all of Paul's letters and epistles, he wrote to the churches. He did not write to individual leaders. You know, he, he commended people. He did all those things about leaders. So they believe that this letter was written toward the end of the apostles' age when the church was transitioning to pastoral leadership and, and bishops leading the areas. And so this is, again, we don't know exactly when it's written, but we believe that it was written later on in the century just before John uh, passed away. He addresses uh, several people, one of which is Gaius. There's five references to Gaius in the, old, in the New Testament. And uh, we're not sure if he's referring to the same one that most of the, the other four references make. Now, uh, 
Gaius is first mentioned in Acts 19. He is arrested with Paul in Ephesus. He's one of the people that were following, following with Paul. In Acts 20, the same Gaius is traveling with Paul from the Macedonian area back to Jerusalem. And in Romans Roman 16, this Paul addresses Gaius as the head of the church in Rome. So we still think this is the same individual because those are all references for, for Paul. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Gaius. <laughs> Uh, so Gaius was a special person to Paul, and it would make sense that this book is written to him because he's the leader of the church in Rome, according to Romans 16. We do again, we don't have any proof of that's who, it, who he's talking about, so we're not going to take a hard stand that it's the same person, but it makes sense to me that it would be the same person. Um, so we look at this, and it says, you know, they've written to this person. And we see the, with the time frame of this book, you know, and as you see, when I go through a new book, I like to try to give us the history of a book so you know who, what, where, <laughs> um, and when. And like I say, in this one, we just don't know a lot about it. Uh, when you have only 14 verses, it would be like us scribbling off a one-page paper and saying a letter to, to somebody and saying, here, here's my letter to you. And we could say a lot to them in just a few sentences. You know, it could be like, you know, remember what we did last week or the promise we made last year. We have no idea what, what you're referring to, but that person would, would get a lot out of it. And uh, the book itself has uh, some interesting characters. Its main topic is Christian hospitality, taking care of one another. And you know, this is something that is really special. I've, you know, I've been on some traveling over, over my years, and it's really fun as a Christian to be, a tr be traveling. Because wherever you go, you go to a good, godly church, and you're with family. And a lot of times, I would be invited to somebody's home, especially when I was traveling alone. If I was traveling alone, I'd end up at somebody's house for, for lunch and then back to service that night. You know, but you know, Going around churches is a wonderful experience. It wasn't so many years ago when you'd have a traveling evangelist or singing group or something, they were put up in somebody's home, the pastor's parsonage or somebody's home in the church and taken care of. We kind of left that a little bit and it's very sad in many cases. Love is being something that is really starting to fall away from Christian churches in, in many cases. Hi, John. <laughs> we, we, got our, we got our heat back. <laughs> uh, so challenge for us is to be able to, are we willing to show love one to another to start with? And then really make people welcome when they come into a church. And I don't know how many different places you might have been, but it's really wonderful when you go to a church that expresses God's love. I've walked into some churches and it's frozen. It's like you're, you're not supposed to be there and, and everybody's looking at you and you just feel uncomfortable. You go to other churches and everybody's saying hi, welcome, and, and it's just a, a loving environment as it should be. And my encouragement to us is let's make sure we make this a very loving church. When somebody comes, we, we welcome them and, and make them feel very uh, wanted 
because that's very important for us. And this is what this whole book is about, is this whole hospitality. And he's going to praise certain individuals for their hospitality, and he's going to condemn another individual for his lack of hospitality. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at this, uh, this uh, thing. There's four, three main characters that he's referring to. One is Gaius. He's the leader, and he's, he's encouraged, and he's telling him about how good he is. The other one that is going to be talked about is, I um, can't read my own writing, so I'm going to look at it here. Ditrophenes, di and he is the one that is not going to have a whole lot of good things said about him. And there's no other mention of that individual anywhere in the Bible. This is the only place where his name is mentioned. And then we have Demetrius. And there's a lot of praise for Demetrius. And the only other mention of Demetrius in the Bible is the silversmith in Ephesus who arranged to have had Paul be arrested. Uh, and yet in this letter, Demetrius is a glowing uh, praise. So most people do not think they're the same person. Now, I will postulate a case that it is possible that they are the same person and he got saved and he got completely saved and changed his life to such a point where John was able to say he's got a good reputation and I can't put that out as a strong case but I do want to tell us you know one of the things we have problems with in churches is when somebody becomes a new Christian getting people to forget their past and to treat them as a new creation is sometimes very difficult and we want to be able to take this and understand, you know, in Corinthians we're told that when we become in Christ, we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we'll watch somebody become a Christian, and they'll be shunned by the church, and they'll walk right back to their old ways. And, it's and I'm going to tell you flat out, it was the church's fault that they went back to their own ways because they were just put off. Well, you know, when I, when I see the proof that you no longer doing whatever it is you were doing, will accept you. That should not be the way we love one another. Our love as Christians should be, I'm going to accept you. Now, if you prove to me that you haven't changed, we've got another story altogether. And even then, we should be really to give grace if they ask for forgiveness. God forgave us. How many of us would like to have been shunned when we first became a Christian? Now, well, you know, I know what you were like. Uh, you, were, you were a troublemaker. You were, you were at the you know, bar every night in a fight every night, or you were doing this, or you were doing that. What really made us able to walk with God in most cases is somebody wrapped their arms around us and said, let's help you become a better Christian. And I've said this over and over. When we first become Christians, even we sometimes have this expectation that we're going to be perfect. You know, and we get mad at ourselves when we fail. You know, well, I'm a Christian now. I'm not supposed to do this anymore. Well, that's probably true. We're not supposed to do it. But we have a fleshly nature that says, I want to sin. And yes, God's going to crucify it, but that's going to take time for that flesh to be crucified. We need to be able to expend grace to other people and just say, I want you to understand God loves you. Let me help you walk. Let me help you go forward. You know, all the 12-step programs are based on that general principle, which is a godly principle. Come alongside of somebody, lift them up, 
help them walk through their problems. And the 12-step uh, program started with a godly foundation. And as they've taken God out of their foundation, all it is is a be nice to one another activity without a power to be able to succeed. And we need to be able to come up alongside one another and say, you know, I just want to love you. I want to help you and walk through this. You know, a lot of times people fail, you know, a lot of times people will get into drugs and alcohol and they keep failing and they, and they fall off the wagon, <laughs> you know, and they come, they stop, and even their family sometimes sets them up for failure, like, well, you've, you've, you've stopped before, how long is it going to be this time? And they're just waiting for you to fail. You know, and the thing about this is we know people are going to fail. We know we're going to fail, and whatever your sin is in your life, and you may have a hidden sin that nobody else knows about, but you know about it. Whether it's pride or arrogancy or, or lack of love or some real big sin that you know, people consider big sins. We all know we fail in, a, in those areas. Why do we expect other people to all of a sudden become perfect? Well, the Bible does say we're, we're made perfect. We're in Christ. We're supposed to be sanctified. We've got a power to be able to get through. And yes, we have all of that. But any of you that have been walking with God long enough know that you still have sin in your life. I still have lots of sin in my life. I have things that I just can't seem to get rid of. And I don't want to be judged for my sins, so I'm going to try hard not to judge other people for their sin. I'm going to love them and say, God has the power to get you through it. If he's indwelling us, and we say that we're a Christian, he's in, he is indwelling us, he will change us. And we will find ourselves doing these sins less and less over time. And then once we get rid of that one sin that we've been having so much trouble with, he'll show us some other sin in our life to work out. You know, but we need to keep this in mind. If God is changing us for decades... We need to be patient with a new Christian who's having trouble or an immature Christian who's having trouble. You know, I don't know about most of you, but I was very fortunate. I got very much into God's word, and I had somebody to disciple me and, and said, this is how you do these things. And I've shared with us, we need people that we're discipling. You know, I've spent years discipling my kids. I've spent years discipling Sunday school classes and now a church. You know, and reaching out and trying to help people. But, you know, it's not just a pastor who's supposed to be doing these things. It's not just a parent who's supposed to be doing these things. And my question for us as a church is, who are we discipling? Who are you discipling in your life? You know, your kids should be your primary one if they're young, especially if they're young. And even if they're old, if they're not, if they're not where they're supposed to be, disciple them. <laughs> Grandkids, nieces, nephews, you know, cousins, whatever, your best friend. Who are you putting your arm around and saying, let me help you? Let me help you. You know, this world today has thousands, millions of people who don't even know how to be parents. You know, don't even know how to be a parent. That is one place where most of us in our older, older age could probably help them. Well, most of us have kids that have grown up. Most of us have kids who aren't at home anymore. You know, in today's world, that makes you a very successful parent. Your kids aren't at home anymore. <laughs> you know, we've got 50, 60-year-old kids who are still at home 
because their parents did not do a job to get them able to be self-supported. You know, we've got people who have quit drugs and alcohol that should be able to reach out to those who have need, need help in those areas and said, I'm willing to help you because I've been there. We've had people in the church who probably have had anger issues that can be able to help others get through their anger issues. Who are you working on? Who are you wrapping your arms around to say, let me help you? You know, as Christians, a lot of times we kind of push off, well, you know, if you guys, you know, get, your, get your act together and, and we'll, we'll let you come and be around us. I am so glad God doesn't do that with us. You know, I am so glad that God didn't say, well, you people are all just so bad and so evil. You know, when you start getting your act together a little bit, then I will send a sacrifice down to, to forgive you. I'm glad he didn't do that because we had never gotten our act together enough to get Jesus sent down here to rescue us. So we want to be able to look at those around us and say, what can we do? And I'm going to tell you what God will usually do. He'll take the person that you have the hardest time to be around, and he'll say, that's the person I want you to be around and help. I want you to show love to that person. And the amazing thing is, is when we do those kind of things, the love of God shines through and they respond. We all are looking for people to love us, and the world is looking for people who love them. You know, we see it with many of the kids you know, that come through this church. You know, they're looking for love. They just want to be you know, loved. And if we give them conditional love, what we're doing is telling them, well, as long as you're good, I'll, I'll like you and you can be around, but as soon as you're bad, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. We do that with kids. We do that with one another. We've got to be careful about that. We need to be able to stretch forth our hand and say, I want to help you in whatever way I can. And it doesn't need to be financial. It doesn't need to be any. It's just support. You know, how many of us have somebody that if we have a really bad night, and maybe 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and we're really having a hard time, hopefully you have that person you can call and say, I just need help. I need somebody to talk to. i got about two people that I know that I could call in the middle of the night. And I'm not going to say they're going to enjoy getting the phone call. <laughs> Okay, I have never enjoyed the phone calls at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But if somebody needs my help, especially with certain people, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be at their house. I'm going to be at uh, Denny's meeting them for coffee or whatever. You know, just talk to them on the phone, whatever it is they need. Do, now, do I have that to every single person out there? No, there's some people that call me in the middle of the night and go talk to you in the morning. But, you know, we all need somebody that we can talk to that way. But we also should have people in our lives that if they need help, we're willing to reach out and help them. The love of God being expressed in a very practical way. Very important for us. And this book is all about the hospitality of the individual. It's broken up into three basic parts on it. Um, verses 1 through 8 are all the greeting to Gaius. <coughs> you know, and we'll talk about him next week. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about that greeting that he gives to. Uh, verses 9 and 10 is the, is the Diophanes, and he is called an ambitious leader who doesn't care about the people. He's got a lot of evil said about him. He's called a leader, and we're going to look at that, because how many times have we been around somebody who is a leader? You know, maybe in a company, might be in a church. You know, they've got the title, and they don't have the love of the people.
And that's a really sad thing in a church. If you have a, somebody with a title but doesn't love their people, because that can do a lot of harm to a, to a church. It can do a lot of harm to a family, a lot of harm to a business. And we'll look at him a little bit. Then he talks to about, in verse, verse 12, about Demetrius and talks about his reputation. And we'll talk about that at the time. And then in verses 13 to 14, he gives closing comments. You know, typical letter. You know, and we think about these letters that these guys wrote. Now, I know that there are people out there that believe that John, that uh, uh, Peter, James, John, Paul, all knew that they were writing scripture. I am not one of those that believe that they knew that they were writing scripture. I think Paul was just ministering to the church. And God touched him in his, touched him in his writing, and he wrote things that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and became scripture. You know, and I don't know, how many of you have ever been in a place where you said something and you knew it wasn't you? In your counseling with somebody, or you're teaching with somebody, or you're instructing, and you just get going and you realize all of a sudden, uh, I'm not talking anymore. This is God talking. Been there on several occasions, a couple of times even witnessing, you know, I've kind of been in my own mind stepped back and going, who is this talking? You know, this is, you know, they're using my voice, they're using my, my body, but it's not me talking to this individual. It's happened at various times in messages and sermons and teaching and you know, preaching. God can use each one of us. He wants to use each one of us. If he didn't want to use each one of us when we got saved, we'd go straight to heaven. Now that would be a wonderful experience. Get saved, go to heaven. <laughs> Now, I don't know what good the rest of the world would be. There would be nobody else to do, you know, get the gospel message out. But, you know, wouldn't it be nice to get saved and you go straight to heaven? No, no problems, no trials. You just go straight to heaven. That's not God's plan. He expects us to share the gospel with one another. Go out and share. Teach. Teach people the word. Teach them how they are to live. You know, and that's part of discipling. Paul told Timothy, find men who can train men. So in other words, Timothy was told, all right, I, Paul, have taught you, Timothy. Now, Timothy, you go out and you find men who can then teach men, who will then teach men. And women, that doesn't let you off the hook either. You're to help teach other women you know, and other people as well. Uh, but, you know, we're encouraged. We take what we're taught and we pass it on to other people. And, you know, we've shared this with you. Can you be a Christian and not come to church or not have a discipler? Yeah, you can be a Christian because all it takes is believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And can he teach you from the Bible? Yes, he can teach you from the Bible. And for my sake, I know that I've learned a lot of things on the Bible on my own, but I have learned a whole lot of things from being taught. And it's just that easy. You know, in this day and age, you can learn anything you want to do. You could tear a car's engine apart by getting on YouTube and, you know, this is how you do this, this is how you do this, this is how you do this. Well, one thing I have learned by trying to do things that way, I talked to a mechanic friend who says the job should take about an hour, it's going to take me five or six hours. Okay, because nobody taught me the secrets. Nobody taught me how to do something. Can we learn the Bible on our own through just the Holy Spirit? Yes, we can. Do you want to grow quick or do you want to grow very shallow and take a long time getting there? We need each other. And it's not just pastors and Sunday school teachers that we need. 
One of the greatest things I have ever had is when somebody will share what God has sure told them that week. And I've heard some phenomenal, deep truths from people saying, you know, wow, I was reading and listened to what God showed me. I would like to see our church start sharing with one another. What has God taught you during the week when you've been reading? We've been encouraging reading the Bible. Hopefully we're learning something from this reading. <laughs> you know, we're not just picking up a book and reading it and saying, okay, I've got to get through my three chapters today and, okay, made it through, I'm done. Okay, God did my part. Here's my checkbox. I, I read it. What is God teaching you? How is it applying to your life? You know, when you read the Bible, have you ever noticed that it's your opportunity sometime that day to apply what you've read that morning? It's amazing to me how I read something in the morning and it's just what somebody needs to hear. It's just what I needed to do to go through the day. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we start sharing that with one another? You know, hey, Tuesday, I read this verse in the Bible and then I met this person who needed encouragement and it was the verse they needed. Wouldn't you like to be hearing those kind of testimonies from one another? Start with yourself. <laughs> You know, if we get people who start sharing these things, others will start sharing. You know, well, I'm just, I don't know if I want to get that spiritual with people. Are we disciplers or not? Are we growing or not? If we just want to stay around crawling on the floor, you know, you know just eat, heating on the milk, then let's, we can stay there. That's not my goal for our church. I'd like to see our church being adolescents, adults teaching one another, sharing with one another, growing with one another. I get a privilege. I get to do it all the time. Okay? But I've always done it anyway because I've always been a teacher. But I love it when others share back and listen to what they've been taught. You know, back in Baltimore, we had a wonderful church. You know, there, were, there were more Bible studies in the middle of the grocery stores than you could ever imagine. Three or four people would come together and they would start talking about what God was showing them that morning or that night or the previous night or whatever. You know, there would be Bible studies going on. You go to a birthday party and there would be a Bible study. Part of the birthday party was a Bible study because God's was, word was elevated so high and people were being taught and they expected it. And they didn't need a pastor there. Somebody would do something. They would share what God had showed them. Every one of us have that ca capability. You know, and I'm hoping that God is showing you things when you're reading the Bible. And hopefully you're studying the Bible. And we've talked about this, and we did the How to Study the Bible. We talked about this. Very few Christians even read the Bible. And of that, very few study the Bible. And there's a big difference between reading and study. I'll be happy if everybody just read the Bible. <laughs> but I really want to see us get to where we're studying the Bible. God, what is it you want me to know from this? I have to be honest with you, I have trouble reading through the Bible because I start getting to a verse and going, oh, hold it, this reference is over here, and next thing I know, I'm over here looking at what it references, and then I'm over here, you know, uh, and I was trying to get through the chapter. <laughs> uh, so my encouragement for us is, are we, let's get to where we're studying. We've been pushing for six years on, on reading. Let's, let's now get to the place where we're looking at Let's study the scriptures on our own. You know, and then once you start really getting hungry for the word, coming to Bible studies, listening to the radio, whatever it might be, will be nothing because you'll be hungry for the word. 
Uh, and this is something we find, you know, sometimes when you first start eating and you're not hungry, and you start eating and all of a sudden you realize that you are, are hungry, and there comes that time when you're satiated. You know, one thing about the Word of God, I've never been satiated with the Word of God. I have not gotten enough of His Word. I keep wanting more and more. And I want to see us get to where we want more and more of His Word. Because the more we get into it, the more things start opening up. And the more we start understanding this. And we just want to look at this and say, where are we going to be? Are we going to be a hospitable, loving church? A discipling church? That's what I want to see us do. Reach out and, and help one another. If you need somebody to disciple you, reach out. Ask somebody. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, part of it is both ways. You know, the disciples should be reaching out to find somebody to disciple, but the one who needs to be discipled should reach out. Are you looking to improve your prayer life? Find somebody who's a good prayer warrior and start talking to them. You know, can we meet once a week, once a month, whatever? I want to learn to pray. I want to learn how to read the Bible better. I want to learn how to be victorious over this area, and, and I think you are. So we can go to one another as well and try to get somebody to disciple. You know, it can work both ways. You know, because I've heard people, well, nobody's ever reached out to touch me. Well, who have you asked? I had somebody go, well, nobody ever talks to me when I go to church. And I go, well, how many people have you talked to? Well, nobody. Well, maybe if you just talk to them, they might talk to you. Yeah. I'm an introverted person. I had to learn that. I was the one that sat in, the 20, in my 20s, you know, saying nobody ever talks to me at church, other than my Sunday school class who I talked to first. Uh, but I learned over the years, be friendly, say hello once in a while, and it's pretty amazing how many people will talk to you. you know, most people won't ignore you if you say hello to them. There are a handful out there that will, but most people will at least return the courtesy and talk back to you for a few minutes. Does that mean they're going to be your friend? Not necessarily. But if you say hello to enough people, you're probably going to find somebody that is going to be more friendly with you and, and strike up a relationship with. But, you know, a lot of it does fall on us. Am I just hiding in my shell saying, oh, nobody loves me here, nobody wants me here? You know, none of these people know enough about God's word to even love me. And we get into our pity party. And then we get so much into our pity party that even when they do come to say hello to us, we're in such a bad mood, we don't say much back to them. Because, well, nobody let me know, well, what are you talking to me for? You must have some, <laughs> you know. And we push them away. And then we talk about how unfriendly the place was. We need to be very careful of this. We have a job to be hospitable one to another and to be able to accept that back. Because that's something a lot of people have trouble. They have trouble accepting forgiveness. They have trouble accepting friendship. They just push anybody away, and they're just trying to keep themselves miserable. And if nobody, nobody says hello to me, nobody's kind to me, I can be as miserable as I want, and it's all their fault. We love to blame other people. And it's not new. Adam and Eve had that same problem when they sinned. God went to Adam, and he said, you know, did you eat of the fruit? And Adam was very original. He said, uh, God, the woman you gave me, gave me that fruit. So God, it's her fault. And by the way, God, if you hadn't given her to me, it's really your fault. You know, he pointed both ways. And we have a lot of people who point both ways. Eve, she just pointed to the serpent. It says it's his fault. 
the blame game has been going on forever. And we like to get this, well, you know, nobody talks to me, so it's, you know, all their fault. You know, nobody loves me. It's all their fault that I'm the way I am. We need to get out of the self-pity, out of the blame game, and say, God, help me to reach out. Because we've, we've all done it. We've all been there. Well, God, if, I, if this hadn't happened in my life, if that hadn't happened in my life, if that hadn't happened in my life, I'd be a happy person. You know, and God, it's all your fault. <laughs> and God says, no, I'm here. I've been here all along. And by the way, you're pushing everybody away who wants to help you. So we want to be very careful about that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this book of John, Lord, and for hospitality. Lord, we ask that you help each one of us learn to love more, love deeper, respond to those who are trying to, and also to reach out to others. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this that doesn't know you, we ask that they will admit that they're a sinner and accept Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for their sin and be, become your child, and that they will take that and they will share with somebody what they have done. Lord, we just thank you that you love us so much and that you care for us and that you ask us to show love for one for another. And, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.